Welcome, everybody, to this Driving Innovation podcast series. Today with me is your guest. My name is Philippe Smoka, and I am the EVP Transformation for LeaseBlend. Today, it's my pleasure to have Romel Ball here with us, who is the core CEO. And uh, before we start, I'd love to get you to tell us a little bit about your background. I know this is not your first time as CEO. <laughs> a lot yeah. has happened with Core Indeed. lately. It would be nice to get a bit of your background and what's going on in your life right now. Well, sure. Uh, look, I don't know how far you want me to go back, but first of all, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure yeah. to be here on uh, the Tech Alpharetta podcasts. And, and look, um, you know, so I, I feel like my life is in two halves, right? Half of it was in India growing up, although we had the good fortune to travel a lot and spend some time in Europe and so forth. But mostly out of India, I'll say schooling, uh, undergraduate, and then came here for um, my graduate degree, B school at the University of Texas. So I went to Austin back 30 years ago when it was weird. You know, you didn't need Keep Austin Weird bumper stickers because it was still this weird little <laughs> town. Um, uh, it's and, grown a and, lot and these it's days. grown a lot yeah. and it's absolutely yeah it absolutely has that's why you need the stickers now but yeah so then did some consulting for a while and uh, sort of still call myself a recovering consultant because every now and then I have to remind myself that make decisions with 70% of the facts get on with it right don't don't wait for the 90th percentile of perfection um, but uh, yeah so I was fortunate enough to have a board uh, ask me to be CEO of a public company and I was 40 years old I uh, didn't quite know what it all meant. My level of uh, diligence on the opportunity was, uh, yes, I'll take yes, it. <laughs> but um, made every mistake a uh, first-time CEO makes. I'm hopefully not making the same ones here third time around. Yeah. Having a lot of fun. Very good. Um, I know Core has gone, it's, it's been going through a phenomenal transformation. I think you're, you're number four now at Core. I know Core is probably going to almost its 20 years of existence. Right. A lot has happened to this company. I happen right. to know Core for a long time, been right. in the IoT space. Right. Tell us a little bit about the transformation that you've, you know, been heading inside of Core, and knowing that the company, you know, started as a, a pure connectivity play. Yeah. Uh, the goal being now more of a one-stop shop. I think you've quoted this once. You said that it takes about 17 or 18 different players to get a solution on the ground, sure. reason why some of these you know, projects fail and prototypes fail. And so tell us a little bit about what is, what is CORE doing? What's, what's the future of CORE? Yeah. And how, you, how are you looking at that? I love it. I mean, uh, first of all, a guy that actually knows IoT is asking me the questions. <laughs> and clearly you've done your homework because uh, uh, I have said indeed all of, all of those things. Um, you know, um, but look, so let's, let's maybe go back two decades ago, like you said, when CORE was starting. In those days, the term IoT wasn't even being used, right? It was, it was not the Internet of Things yet. It was M2M, right? Yeah. It was machine to machine. And uh, so we started in Canada as the M2M platform for Rogers, the incumbent yeah. M&O up there. And then won the contract with AT&T not too long thereafter. So we're 15, 16 years with the relationship with AT&T now. And that obviously moved our center of gravity down to the U.S., much bigger market, et cetera. So what I now call Core 1.0, right, was that time from roughly 2002 to roughly 2012 uh, when we were a North America M2M, beginning to be called IoT, connectivity provider, connectivity platform provider. So around 2010, and you'll remember this, right, because uh, you're young. You're not that young. You remember 2010 <laughs> <laughs> when... Um, when the carriers started to get serious about IoT, a right? Huge hype. I mean, they, yeah. people, yeah. So at and Vodafone established its IoT unit. AT&T started talking about establishing an IoT unit, and so 
I think it was a moment of reckoning for the founders. Every of telco Core. had a digital arm, and exactly. they, they call it digital. They really didn't know what that meant. Well, but it was but, connected products but, at the end of the day. But there was clarity that there's going to be a lot of data and a lot of connections yeah. in the world of IoT, and we've got to do something about it. And so, so, so it was a moment of reckoning for the core founders to sit back and say, who are we going to be in this world when the carriers themselves start to fundamental question yeah, of existence? And so, so the thesis that was shared by the private equity firm Abri, which got involved back around then, was what the world really needs is a global independent IoT connectivity provider, not um, merely, you know, I, I mean, look, AT&T is a great network, Verizon has a great network, but yeah. their natural boundaries are the country's boundaries, right, the border of the country. And so how do you get consistent quality of service, lowest cost local service without signing up with 30, 50, 75 carriers and having 30, 50, 75 platforms to log into is the question we we were asking. Not, I wasn't around, not taking credit for the thought process, but very good thought process that said the world needs a global independent aggregator to bring it all down to one screen. So that's the era I now call Core 2.0, right? From from around 2012 to 2016, a series of acquisitions were done. We inorganically became the leading global independent with 40-plus back-end integrations into carriers like AT&T and Rogers is where we started. We had 40-plus of those. And I, I understand this was probably the only alternative you guys had was to expand through acquisitions to be able to access the back-ends right. of these telcos and so on. So well, it was exactly. Because, I mean, it's a two-year, highly expensive project to do to integrate into one of these MNOs. That's if they let you in, and increasingly right. they weren't letting you in because they wanted You're to do You're buying the access through these companies. So inorganic yeah. was the only way to go. Um, now, it left me a little bit of a mess to clean up, right? Because when I arrive, it's 13 different connectivity platforms. Yeah. <laughs> the integration, the, uh, the, the, the culture was interesting because wherever I showed up, you know, the office to visit a customer, I'd go to the team as well, and they'd introduce themselves, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so. I'm like, <laughs> no, you're the same Not company. Really your core, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of the things I had to do, one of my early webcasts was, you know, let's stop using all these older company names, please, right? One team core kind of, you know. Anyway, so. Um, I mean, you talk with simplicity, but that's probably really hard big, to do. It's a big part. It's a big part of driving yeah. any transformation, as you know, and then making sure that the that the leadership of the company felt like they owned the strategy for yeah. core 3.0, right? And um, I, I guess I'll keep talking for a little bit about 3.0, and then you know Please you might, you might want me to go deeper somewhere. But so, actually, almost exactly like you said, the, the the last decade of IoT has largely been disappointing, right? Certainly, the first five years of the last decade, so that period 2010 to 2015, we were stumbling around. We made it really hard for customers to adopt IoT. They certainly thought that we more devices connected. Still. So the so the average analyst back in 2010 said there'd be 20 billion devices yeah. by 2020. And in 2015, it looked like we were going to be missed by a mile. We actually got better in the second half of the decade. We got the 12 billion IoT-connected devices by 2020, but still largely a disappointment. So we, put, we set ourselves to work as part of this strategy exercise to sit back and say, what happened? Why did it go wrong? What can we do to help? Right? And um, it turns out it's that complexity. It's too many. It's the 18 average partners to launch one solution. There's too many moving pieces. The technologies are all different. In fact, more network standards and protocols are emerging as opposed to convergence. Um, I think we're all mentally resigned to this notion that 5G is really a network of networks kind of world. It's not one thing. And so in the, all of this mess, you say, 
can we really afford to let our customers learn these lessons one at a time themselves and figure out how to put the Lego bricks together themselves? Or can we create this one-stop shop, this IoT in a box, this... We've, at core, had the good fortune over the last 20 years of, of working with over 10,000 use cases. That's amazing. If I could bottle up that knowledge, I walk around the company saying this all the time, if we could just bottle up what we know, if we could figure out how to right, help our customers just look around the corners at what's coming, boy, we can really accelerate. We can take a 24-month end-to-end solution launch program to 24 weeks maybe. Right? That's the promise of the new core. So much more than connectivity, connectivity solutions and analytics. So what's the, the secret in that? Is this conceptualization? Is it, is it the prototyping? Is the POCs? I mean, definitely it takes a bit of different skills inside a core to be able to do those things, to be solution designers right. and come in at the front end right. instead of the back end when right. all of these right. somehow got sorted and you guys come in to do the connectivity, which is still <clears throat> potentially very still profitable and has recurrence of revenue. And that's, that's a good thing. Right. But being in the front end, it's probably right. what took you guys to a whole different yeah, no, that's right. And yet, I want to be careful here, right? Because we're not we're not putting up an army of consultants either to be truly at that front end helping customers conceptualize and so on. Now, look, some of our customers are three guys in a garage, right? I mean, you and I are going to have an idea one day. And we're going to say, let's go do I'm this, for right? That. Right? <laughs> and 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 we're not going to have a million bucks to spend on McKinsey or name your favorite consultant. Um, for those folks, we are a, a fountain of knowledge for them that they yeah. can tap into. We're happy to share it, right? Uh, because they'll remember that for the rest. I mean, right? When they're unicorns and growing fast, they'll remember Core helped us, right? And and that's the kind of loyalty that you know you can't you can't pay for anyway, right? You can't bill for. Um, but yeah, so, so I'm not trying to be a consultant. Happy to help where I can. What I really want to get engaged with is that. When it's time to do the tech selection, to run the true proof of concept or, or, or pilot phase, and onwards from there, right? Um, that's where Core, with its three different technology stacks, really starts to add value to the customer. So. Very, very good. So is the goal to continue to increase the portfolio of choices for Core in different sectors and segments? Tell us a little bit about that part. Yeah, I mean, this is now where... I mean, the theme here is innovation. This is where innovation just takes over, right? It's sort of funny how I think I spent maybe the first year or two, you know, putting our flywheel in place and starting yes. to push it hard yes. and and repeat the same things a hundred times until people actually believe yeah. them, and right, as opposed to this, this is a fad that's going to be gone tomorrow. Um, and obviously the concept is, right, it's the good to great, the flywheel, right, starts to roll, and then one day it's, 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 it's picking up its own speed and momentum and racing away. And so it's fascinating how that innovation and applied innovation across the company is not just what we do. So uh, we've gone from a place where I was personally needing to drive strategy thinking and doing it every six months, every 12 months kind of stuff, to now we ran a leadership summit recently. The, the, the leaders came there's so many ideas. <laughs> so we said, okay, we're going to restrict you to three plays. You get to call three plays. You, you show up, you present. We use the lean canvas, right? Familiar. One page, three plays, let's go, right? And then the team voted on which ones were the best. And so we took the top 10 and we broke out into teams and did some more thinking on them, brought it back, reported out. Uh, and that's kind of now how the new plays are being absorbed into our playbook for next year. Obviously, there are some things continuing that we have to execute. But it's just a, I mean, the myriad of things we can go do 
almost every sector of the five focus sectors that we have now has new use cases coming up. So it's um, it's a cool process to, to allow innovation and ideation and then bring it back and say, all right, what's next year? Next year is just these things. I mean, I, th I think this space <laughs> is super exciting. I think yeah. some project it to be $75 billion yeah. by, 2030 by 2030 devices. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's a tremendous opportunity. You guys are yeah. in a great path. Yeah. Let's talk about people for a little bit in this last uh, section. Sure. Um, you and I talked about culture eats strategy for breakfast. That's right. I know you're a firm believer of That's it. Right. That's right. What culture right. looks like at core, and what's, uh, what's that piece of your transformation with your leaders? Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's funny. I, I, I absolutely believe the culture eats strategy for breakfast uh, point. I, um, I think like most CEOs, I sort of fancied myself as a strategist, right? And so it's, it's this hard truth to swallow at one level, which is that, yeah, that first six months, first year is about strategy and setting and direction and tone. After that, it's all about execution, right? Um, I like to say that, that all else being equal, the company with the best strategy will win, right? I, I like to say that. The fact is, though, is that, is that without execution, the strategy doesn't mean anything, right? And so this is where the culture part plays such a big role, and why I said, I said a little while ago, I said, you repeat the same things literally a hundred times, right? If 90% of my job is communication, internally, externally, you know, whatever, consistent, right? Consistent encouragement and communication in the same direction is critical to getting the inevitable naysayers. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Some people just don't agree or don't believe or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right? Can we just get connectivity fixed, please? We got 13 platforms here, Roma. What solutions are you talking to me about right now? Right? You know, that kind of stuff. Those same people today are like, look how far we've come in three years. And so I think culture at, at core um, is a very specific thing that you can, you can define. It's, yeah. it's work hard, play hard. It's ideas can come from anywhere, they don't come from the corner office. In fact, preferably not from the corner office, right? Um, it doesn't matter whose idea it was. If it's the best idea, that's yeah. the idea we will get after and implement, and we will take roadblocks out. And, you know, it's the notion of a coach as opposed to, right? So the you almost want to invert the org chart and the pyramid. I'm, I'm successful if the 10 guys on the exec team who right, reporting to me are successful, and they're in turn successful. So you can almost invert it. It's that... And enable. It's right? that challenge of scaling problem solving within the organization. Because if and it that, all depends on the leadership, <coughs> then there's right. a scalability challenge there. Well, exactly. Well, but it's but it's also right. It's so you know you've you've. Um, I, I, I say this often as well, right? We're tough on problems, not on people. Every now and then, That's a great point. Yeah. I'm frustrated about something, and I say, ah, whatever. And I turn around and I make sure the team on the phone understands. It's not about you guys. You understand, it's right? It's a problem. The frustration, solve, right? Yeah. right? Let's, let's face the brutal truths. Let's go solve them. Let, let's get after it. And, and people need to feel empowered to go do that. And, and then they feel like they can come back and be transparent and tell you. Uh, the other thing I love to say and is a part of our culture now is good news travels fast. Sure, bad news travels faster. Faster. Right? Yeah. Move on it now. Let's get on with it. Right? And so, look, I, I feel like 18 months ago or two years ago, I would have probably said to you, culture is a work in progress. We're not that high-performance culture I want to be at. And then the ultimate test happens. Yeah. COVID happens. We all go home, right? We're on Zoom screens all the time, right? 
I believe that it was the focus on the culture the first two years at CORE that made us so successful through the last two years. I don't think it's every company that can beat its pre-pandemic budget yeah. through the pandemic, go public the next year. I, don't, I mean, yes, a lot of companies have, are having that kind of success, but we're one of them, and it's the culture, and it's the people. One last point on this. Yeah. Do you feel going public yeah. helps with motivation and inspiration inside a core? Because it is a an amazing, very unique milestone for many companies. Yeah. And being part of this, you know, kind of a community, if Just you will. Just this different thing, yeah. It, how do you feel about that and how? Yeah, I've been really pleasantly surprised by how embraced this has been. At first, it was obviously very highly confident. At first, we didn't know if we'd get there. So, you know, we, we, we kept the tent relatively narrow, et cetera. I've been surprised with how how much people have embraced it. It's felt like a coming out party. Yeah, it's, it's a great recognition, like a, first of it's all. Felt like a, it's felt like you can now be a part of the core family for the next 10, 20, 30 years without concern about are you going to go away yeah. and how much private equity debt do you have and all those kinds of things, right? Um, people are delighted. People are happy. We weren't able to get everybody, obviously, to the New York Stock Exchange, but we did a live um you know, they, they could follow it anywhere in the world. They could follow it live or certainly watch the recording and watch the lovely moments up there. And, yeah, it's been a, it's been a real rallying cry these last few months. It's been kind of neat. Very good. Yeah. Romeo, we're out of time. This is, yeah. it was a quick fire uh, chat. It's been great to have you. Absolutely. Uh, I'll continue to keep, you know, close tabs with you and CORE. I know you guys have a phenomenal journey ahead of you, and I'm super excited with everything that you guys I are really doing. Appreciate Thanks that. for, you know, being with us today. And, uh, Thanks for everybody watching us today. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here as well and provide this content, very rich content for Romo and CORE. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.